And it is a good morning. And you look good. But that's just one man's opinion. I really am glad to be here and I'm glad to share a few thoughts with you today. Maybe a little bit different than what uh, we might anticipate and what I have to share with you this morning. I told him not to put my picture up there. It puts out the cameras. So <laughs> anyway, I, I really am glad to be here. And I'm glad to see this day. You know, if it's okay, I want to ramble just a little bit. Well, you think I do that all the time, but I want to ramble just a little bit. You know, we've been at this for a year now. It's been about a year that we've been dealing with a problem, and it's affected us like no other problem we've known in, in our lifetime. It's affected our cities, our states, our counties, our, uh, our workplaces. It's, it's affected our lives. It's affected how we shop and don't shop. It's affected how we get around other people, and so on. I'll say more about that in a few moments. But it's been an extremely unusual year. It's been a fatiguing year, to borrow that word. It's been a year of frustration and a year of challenge. Perhaps we truly are seeing, perhaps we are seeing some real optimism for the, today. You know, the promises have been there, but we've been thinking about optimism and trying to be optimistic for quite some time. We keep being reminded we're not there yet, and we understand that. Paul says we're not there yet. We're not in heaven yet. But there are things I think are valuable for us to think about right now because where we are is a product of where we've been, and where we are going is a product of both of those things. And I think it's important for us to pause if you can call it a pause, and contemplate where we are going. What are we going to be? What are we going to do? I think times like this are a great time to reflect, but a time to consider the things in our lives that may need adjustment. Maybe there are things that we need to consider about our own personal and individual lives that ought to change, that could be better. Maybe a time to get rid of a few things, to clean out a few personal closets of our lives and do away with a few things. It's a time to confront our fears as well as our opportunities. It's a time to see ourselves in the best light we possibly can and anticipate what the future may hold for us individually and collectively as a congregation, as Christians, as the church in the 21st century. So today I want us I call the subject rebuilding home because I think we are in a sense at a rebuilding point. You know, they noted in basketball teams, the Thunder, for example, in recent days, talk about rebuilding. There comes a point you're going along and your things are going a certain way and then you begin to look at it and you think, you know, we need to do some reconstruction here and get some things done. And we'll say more about that, not the thunder, but we'll say some more about that in the future. And by the way, that's the basketball team. I'm not talking about the stuff from the clouds and the noise and the storm. But anyway, as we think about that, sometimes there is a point we need to do a little bit of rebuilding, a little bit of change in that. The book of Nehemiah is really a book about rebuilding, and that's where we go today. In Nehemiah, the second chapter, we find Nehemiah has already learned that the walls of Jerusalem and much of the city is in ruin. As the Babylonians came in, they destroyed, they brought down walls, they burned houses and so forth, and the people that have been living there in, throughout the decades that have passed, the people that have been living there 
have not reconstructed the, the city. There are some that don't want it that way, some that want to keep it down, some that want to keep it from being a great city again. And Nehemiah hears word of that as some are coming by and traveling and see him, and he says, some of my brethren have brought this word to me. And he wept about it because there was such a sense of pride, a, such, a, such a sense of, of joy in the beauty of their home country and of, of that city and what it meant to them. And that brings us to the point of our reading today. Because in the midst of this, Nehemiah is thinking, what in the world can I do and should I do in the midst of that? Chapter 2, the first five verses read this way, and it came to pass... In the month of Nisan, in the, 20, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him that I took and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you, you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and, said to the, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. That's kind of how the story goes. And we find that Nehemiah becomes one of those outstanding people. And one of the prayers that he prays repeatedly in this book is, Lord, remember me for the good, for the good that I have done. I want you to think about this, and there come times that we need to awaken to where we are and what we've done and what we have accomplished and what we have not accomplished, and things that are good and things that are bad, as I've already said. I'm going to go back to 1982 for a moment. In 1982, we visited Guthrie, Oklahoma, with the anticipation and the possibility of going there to work for the church in Guthrie for a time. One of the elders along with his wife, took us on a tour of the town, showing us the sights of Guthrie, not having really spent any time in Guthrie in days past. And they showed us around, and it was interesting, it was informative, they talked about a lot of things during that, that day that we spent together. But one of the things that I remember was the sadness that he expressed in the loss of some of the buildings that had in recent years been destroyed so that new buildings could be built in their place. He said they were beautiful. As the town was in the sense in a remodeling phase and a regrouping phase of getting rid of some of the things that had come along as the years progressed, the facades and the, the fronts of stores and going back to the originals that were there and trying to draw in people again into the community, he said, we've destroyed some of the things that we shouldn't have destroyed. That's always a problem, isn't it? Sometimes we end up tearing down or destroying the things that we probably should have kept, and sometimes keeping the things that we should have destroyed. That's kind of what Paul says. You know, the things that I would do, I don't do, and things that I shouldn't do, that I do. That's not his exact quote, but that's pretty close to what he said. 
Well, advancement can always be a two-edged sword, bringing both sadness and joy. But I want to remind you there is an old adage that you probably heard that's adopted from the 1940 novel of Thomas Wolfe. From the title of that novel, You Can Never Go Home Again. The saying is meant to today to infer how nostalgia can make us view the past with a certain light. We can put it in a positive light or we can put it in a negative light, but quite often we put the past in a positive light. But how we remember the past has a lot to do with our upbringing and uh, the people we spend our time with. Maybe we try to return to the past. Maybe we say if we could only go back there, if we could just return to the past. And I want to say up front, there is no return to the past. We don't go back to the past. Maybe we return only to find that too much has happened and too much has changed. And too much was not perceived in the right light. Maybe we try to only find the best things, and hopefully we do. If you think about it, as a child, we see things from the viewpoint of a child. But then in our adulthood, with experience and learning, education behind us, so much behind us, we begin to see things from a little different light, from a little different perspective. A broader reflection, you might say. Still there is, I believe, a connection for I believe there is an earnest desire within us, within you and me, to protect and to return to an intact place in memory, even if it's not fully possible. Maybe if it's, even if it's not exactly what should be. If we look at the story of Nehemiah, we find a thought that when home is brought to ruin and something precious like that is brought to ruin it's hard not to be sad back to the story again Nehemiah learned that home was not what it used to be the city was in ruins and Jerusalem had been the pride it had been the pride of any loyal Jew whether they lived there or not to them it was the city of the great King David he had brought it to be the capital that it was it had been built upon many times, but it was noted as that city of David, the great warrior, the slayer of giants, the great and loving King David, the man after God's own heart. It was also the place where God's temple had been built. Solomon's great temple had stood there for ages before being destroyed. And the building of that temple had been a point of pride and reference for for people around the world. And so Jerusalem was something of a symbol of the past. It was something of a symbol of the present. It was a symbol of the future as well in the mind of Nehemiah. Without a secure Jerusalem, there was no home to which they could return. Some of you may already have your gears running ahead because it reflects on us as well. But there had been prophecies of old, and Nehemiah knew about, about those. In Jeremiah 25, 
verses 11 and 12, it tells that God will revisit and he will bring to Babylon justice after 70 years. Go on to the 29th chapter and the 10th verse. And a part of the great statement there of the return, he says, in 70 years I will bring you back to this place, to that home. Maybe some of those thoughts in his mind, Nehemiah began to take action. He saw the need and he sought the opportunity that he might himself, that he might do something and bring it about. He saw the opportunity to return. We might say, well, prophecy is being fulfilled, but yes, prophecy uses people to accomplish its will. People make it uh, fulfill prophecy quite often by their choices that they make in their lives. Sometimes inadvertently, sometimes definitely on purpose. For Paul talks about the spirit of the prophet being subject to the prophet. In other words, we make decisions about what we're going to do with God's will. It's not something that just takes control over our lives without our will being given into it. Prophecy uses people to accomplish by the will that they purport. And 1 Corinthians 14 is where I was pointing. But applying God's will is always subject to the person. And you recognize that whether you do or whether you don't, there are always circumstances and consequences that arise. We only have to reflect on the name of Jonah for a moment to recognize that when somebody does not give themselves over to God's will, there are consequences, and sometimes it's in the form of a great fish. But we recognize that it is a choice that people make in their lives, and you choose what you're going to do. Nehemiah was making a choice in his life about what he was going to do. Look at his actions. He heard about it and he determined what he wanted to do. He determined what he wanted to do. With the opportunity that the king was providing for him, he determined this is what I need to do. And he sought recognition and the king's power and the support of that to be able to go to get what he needed and to take it there to transport and to go there safely and do what he needed to do. He sought recognition. He wanted to do it from a, the position of the king and accept the king's authority within these things. Not that he was the king. I didn't mean it that way. But the king's authority would be exerted for him to do what he was doing in the days ahead. When he made his way to Jerusalem, he didn't just jump in and say, here's what I'm here to do. But he surveyed what was there. He surveyed what he had to do. He went out on his animal and he looked around at the walls and where the animal couldn't go, he got off of the animal and he began to walk around and surveyed exactly what the damage was. He wasn't going about it blind, but he was seeking what needed to be done to accomplish what he believed would be the, the proper thing to do within that time. And once that was done, he determined and went to work. He drew people into it. He challenged others to join him. I'm sorry I skipped that. He challenged others to join him in his efforts and drew them into the work, made assignments, and they went to work. And in a hurry, they began to build the wall, and before long, they had the walls and the gates up to half their height, and before long, they had the walls completely built. But along the way, it wasn't necessarily easy. There were those who had tried to intimidate them, that tried to threaten their lives, who tried to keep them from doing what they needed to do. They refused to be intimidated or inhibited in what they were trying to do. Instead, they sat forward in their work. In fact, sometimes they had a sword in one hand and a stone in the other hand, ready to build and ready to defend all along the way. And we might say at least finally sought recognition and support of God throughout. As I said, what was his prayer? God, remember me for what I've done. In other words, I hope what I've done for you is something 
that you recognize the value. But again, there was nothing easy about what Nehemiah did. We might say it was an easy decision to go and do this. I don't think it was that easy. There was nothing easy about what Nehemiah did. Troubles were within and troubles were without. Even as he took it to the king, that was a challenging thing. In the words of Ringo Starr, you know it don't come easy. No matter how good it is, it's not necessarily going to be easy. The old adage that we sometimes throw about is no good deed goes unpunished. And Nehemiah had a challenge all along the way, and things within and things without were a problem along the way. And so you're wondering, as we look at this story of Nehemiah, where in the world are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Well, I believe, friends, there is a time for renewal and rebuilding of home. We've kind of been on hiatus, in a sense. Because we've been dealing with a very difficult time. There has been an unprecedented situation placed upon it. And there have been people with opinions on all sides of this thing. All sides of it. People have said one thing and said another. And some people have said move forward. Some have said hold back. And we're sitting there and we're wondering what in the world are we going to do? But it, nonetheless, it has been an unprecedented situation around the world, and there has been almost no one unaffected by what has happened. But my interest today is not about the many other aspects that have come as a result of this virus and the pandemic that has gripped the world. But it's about its effect on you and me and on the church. If we look at the past year, we can say there have been some very positive and some very negative effects. On the positive side, I believe we have been forced to see ourselves and to see the church in general as we have never seen it. We have been forced to operate in a different way than we have ever imagined. We wouldn't have thought to do exactly as we've done in recent days. But we've used the opportunities as best we saw within the time and been very careful about it. But there are also some negatives that have arisen in the past year. And I could go on about some of the other as well, but tried to keep within our time frame to some degree. Negatively, I speak very carefully here because I wouldn't want somebody to get me wrong, misunderstand, or think that I am critical of where we are, what we have done in recent days. I am not. But we have, because of these things, surrendered personal fellowship with one another. Things that we would have taken for granted and used and been a part of regularly, we have set aside. Even to the assembling of the church together, because we believed it was in the best interest not to share a virus with people and try to avoid that as best we could within that. We didn't want to bring about anyone's death. We definitely would, didn't want to be noticed as that group that brought about some, some group becoming ill or spreading a virus among people. We felt caught in our desires on both ends of that. But we have surrendered our personal fellowship with one another. We have also accepted segregated worship, as I said, as a part, uh, apart from the group edification and said, well, I can learn, we can share it, I can learn at home. Unfortunately, I fear that we have made it almost too easy for ourselves. Not literally, but maybe we've become a people of pajama worship. Uh, maybe literally. 
we have made life easy as we can. Not that it should be unnecessarily difficult is not my point. But if I can do it the, this easily, if I can just stay at home and do church, why should I ever go to the assembly, we wonder. There is teaching about that, and we've talked about it already. But I fear that we have accepted a segregated worship apart from the group edification is, well, maybe that's just the way it needs to be. And yes, I think it has been to some degree the way it has needed to be. I agree with that. But have we acquiesced, and maybe we have, acquiesced and maybe even grown comfortable with the present manner and the present limitations? Have we just said, oh, well, okay. We become a little bit like prisoners to the point that we just accept where our prison is and say, that's, that's it. Okay, this is my life, and I step no out. I cannot step out beyond this. Do we begin to just make the best of our situation and do no more? I don't have answers to all these things, and I'm not critical. I'm not trying to be critical of what we have done, how we have done it, or how we have felt. That's not my point. If you feel like I'm being critical of you, you're missing what I'm trying to say, or I'm, not, I'm just not saying it well. I'm just saying this is where we've gotten to. This is what has happened. Here we are a year, a year, not 70 years, but a year, and I believe there is op reason for optimism today, and I believe we are on the verge of that opportunity. Maybe it will be more gradual than I would like or you would like, but I think even the attendance of some today that have felt inhibited in days past is a sign that we're beginning to see, yes, I believe we can get to that. And I know some who are sitting at home are saying, I'm anxious for the time that I can be back fully involved in the church. And I am glad for that. And you are glad for that. And we all want that. But what I want us to think about today is not exactly that. But what do we need to do and be as we look forward? What do we need to do to rebuild ourselves? We may long to go backward. No. We will not go backward. Some of the things of the past, many of the things of the past, hopefully will be our future as well. We are not seeking to change the teaching of the scriptures by any means. But what do we need to do to rebuild? Looking at ourselves, I think we need to examine who we are. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 that we should examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. It's an important thing that we do self-evaluation, self-examination. We need to examine who we are. I think Nehemiah had to look at himself and see who he was in the light of what was going on back in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Judah and Jerusalem. He needed to figure out exactly what his place was. He needed to look at himself and consider himself very carefully in that regard. And I think that throughout the pages of the New Testament, we are challenged to examine ourselves, to see ourselves, and with clarity, with clarity, find what God needs from us in our lives. Find where we are strong, where we are weak. We need to find where we have been amiss or where we have been right on target. We need to amplify the things that we can use to move forward to be God's people from this day onward. Secondly, we need to, desi we need to desire, that was hard to say, we need to desire to do whatever it is we can do. 
use what's available to us. Not, none of us have exactly the same talents as one another. We've got people who have great talents and great abilities in many ways, some in dealing with people, some in great knowledge, some with teaching, some with leadership, some with, with other, other abilities that arise out of the world that they can use for the cause of God's kingdom. We need to desire to do whatever we can do within the body and for the good of the body and for the growth of the kingdom and above all to honor God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we need to assess the situation in which we live. In other words, we don't turn a blind eye that's to what's going on. We need to assess the situation to know what needs to be done. What is it that we need to do? Are there things that need to change about the way we do things, about the way we operate, the way that I operate within it? Do we need to consider those things? I think we need to ask ourselves these questions from the leadership on down to the least of us or the best of us within the body. We need to assess our situations and the situations of the church and say, how do we progress forward from this point? What do we need to do? Are there things that we need to adjust or things that we need to do? We need to get beyond just saying we need to get back to our traditions to say, yes, our traditions are great and we love them, but what is it that we need to do? And maybe there are new traditions we need to make in the future days. So we need to assess our situation to know what needs to be done. I think about the Apostle Paul when he made his way into Athens. He was going to be quiet while he was there. But when he saw everything that was going on in Athens, he said, I can't be quiet anymore. It was stirred within him, and he began to talk to everybody that he could and ended up on Mars Hill preaching the great message that you read there in the midpoint of Acts. We need to assess our situation and know what needs to be done. And then fourthly, we need to get, begin to get it done. And as we begin to get it done personally, we need to entice, encourage, cajole others to join us, show them the way. As Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he's talking about his life, but he's, he's talking about an encouragement to a young man, basically saying, you do these things like I've done them, you do them and keep on with it. And he encourages him and he says here's my life and here's what I've done and I know what God has out ahead of me we need to begin to get it done and to entice others to join us I believe that's our heart's desire I believe we're trying to do these very things don't think I'm saying these are things that we're not even considering doing but I believe these need to be brought to our minds and we need then to look to the future not ignoring the past, not laying aside the things that make us who we are. But we need to look to the future without ignoring the past. We need to see where we can go in the 21st century. We need to look to what the church can be and how we can reach and how we can touch and how we can be benevolent and how we can teach and how we can build fellowship with one another and how we can do these things to the honor and the glory of God. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that the Lord would have us to do? Not just what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus have me to do within this? We need to look to the future without ignoring the past. And so in this, we're reminded. As much as we have liked where we are, not this year, but prior, I want to remind you that if you live in a house long enough, it will need repair and updating. I know that for a fact. 
Sometimes the old plumbing or the old electricity or the old roof or whatever else needs some work. And sometimes that work's pretty expensive to do, challenging to do. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? If you live in a house long enough, it's going to need some work, some repair, and some updating. I think about some of those shows that especially my wife likes to watch, some of those remodeling shows or modeling jobs. And the end result, they take a house that needed some work, they work on that house, and when you get it inside of it, it may not look exactly the same, but you know what? It's still got a kitchen, still got bedrooms and bathrooms, still got the things in it, but it's just fixed up to function maybe a little bit better than it did in the past. We're not changing the house. The address is the same. It's the same house. But sometimes you need to repair and update and make it more functional. So let me end with this this morning. I told you it would be a bit rambling, a little bit different, but I hope it's something that that you take and think on these things as we move forward from here. I want us to draw upon the words of Jesus to that Samaritan woman that he met by that well, by that community who was affected so much by what he had to say. He said to that woman, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. I know that doesn't say rebuild and restore. But rebuilding and restoration is about fitting ourselves to work together for the present and for the future of the Lord and the church. I believe that time is here. Jesus said the hour is coming and now is. I believe we are at that time that we have to consider the importance of who we are and what we are and that we plan and move forward. When the doors open is not the time for planning. Planning and preparation is now for the things that we will accomplish in the days that are yet ahead in our individual lives and in the lives of the life of the church as a whole. Think about it, if you would. This morning we are going to sing a song of encouragement and invitation. Let it be an opportunity for us to consider how important the cause of our Lord and the the saving of souls really is. Maybe there's someone even here this morning who needs to respond to the Savior. You've considered the invitation of our Lord. You've considered the opportunity, the forgiveness of sins. It's only in Him. Salvation in no other name under heaven. If you need to obey the gospel this morning, let us assist you and help you this morning in that. If there is another need, we'll gladly pray with you, help you, whatever that need might be this morning. If you need to publicly, please come while we stand and while we sing together.